The Guardian. I'm at the beginning. That was a disaster. You should have never put me with these people. Ridiculous, ridiculous. Is this microphone on? Uh, welcome to The Guardian's Daily Election Podcast. I'm Andrew Rawnsley, Associate Editor of The Observer. Joining me this week, I'm delighted to welcome back columnist Marina Hyde and The Guardian's Chief Political Correspondent, Nick Watt. We're on to the final straight now, and this time next week, the majority of votes will have been counted. The fates of Gordon Brown, David Cameron and Nick Clegg will probably be known, or maybe not, if it's a hung parliament. A week, after all, can be a long time in politics. Just ask the Prime Minister. When Gordon Brown appeared at the weekend next to an Elvis Presley impersonator in a Corby Technical College, he may have thought that was his humiliation over for the week. The withdrawal of a cartoon pig from a Labour campaign event might also have been seen, at least at the time, as a low point. But little did Brown know that by Wednesday he'd be pulling a U-turn in his bulletproof Jaguar and rushing back to Rochdale to apologise to a Labour pensioner he'd called a bigoted woman. There was 24-hour coverage of the event, carried live by all major news networks, not hit just here, but even coast to coast in the United States. I think we can probably all bear to hear a clip of it just one more time. I was the, a person the, who came the, in the, in the three main things what I was drummed in when I right. was a child with yeah. my was education, Good. health service yeah. and looking after people who are vulnerable. And yeah. that's what, that's what are, my life is. But there's too many people now yeah. who, who aren't vulnerable but they can claim and people who are vulnerable can't get claimed. But they, can't should, get but they shouldn't be doing that. There is no life on the door for people anymore. If you're unemployed, you've got to go back to work. It's, it, at six you, months, you, you, at you six can't months, say anything about the immigrants because you're saying that you're... you're, uh, you're but all these Eastern Europeans what are coming in, uh, where are they flocking well, from? a million people come from Europe, but a million people, British people, have gone into Europe. You, knew, you do know there's a lot of British people staying in Europe as well. Look, come back to what you were, your initial principles, helping people. That's what we're in the business of doing. A decent health service, that's really important. And education. Now, these are the things that we have tried to do. We're going to maintain the schools so that we can make sure that people have that chance to get on. Thanks, Gordon. Thanks, Thanks. Take care. Thanks Take very care. much. Okay. Look Good to see you all. Okay. Good to see you. Thanks very much. That was a disaster. Well, I just... Okay. Should never have put me with that woman. Whose idea was that? I don't know. I didn't see. That's Sue, I think. They're just ridiculous. They will go with it. Everything. She's just a sort of bigoted woman that said she used to be Labour. I mean, it's ridiculous. Marina, shortly after that, Gon Brown then went on his penitential pilgrimage to uh, Mrs. Duffy's home to grovel in person to her. Did we all, as a media collective, get ludicrously overexcited about this, or was it quite reasonable the amount of coverage it got? Well, now the campaigns are so completely spun, I suppose everybody's looking for these little gaffes, aren't they? Or big gaffes. I mean, this is quite, you know, insulting a vote is quite big. Um, but. I have to say that coming the day after the IFS report, which they didn't clear the schedules for, and saying that they'll have to be the most brain-meltingly vicious cuts in a generation. I mean, not more than a generation, it's the Second World War. And having to clear, not clearing for that, but then having to, the preposterous, I hate the Sky and the BBC, both, all of them, their sort of pant-wetting coverage outside this woman's house. I mean, she's apparently getting 90 grand for the mail on Sunday now, so I'm sure that'll make up for some of the trouble. But I just... 
it was it was it was slightly ridiculous. I, I don't think the media looks great when and when we're all burning our chair legs. I'm sure we'll. Nick, is it? I mean, is our obsession with this? Partly stemming, at least, from the fact, as Marina says, uh, we know the politicians stage manage and their spin doctors, all the public rituals of electioneering. And so when we get a a glimpse of what they really think behind the scenes, especially when it's uh, completely two-faced compared with what they've just been saying to somebody, it lifts the curtain. And that's why we're so excited by it. I think think that's absolutely right. It does lift the curtain. And and, and what this showed about Gordon Brown, a tendency that was actually revealed in an interesting book that was published in recent months called The End of the Party. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember. That, which I thought was a bit I thought was obviously a bit soft on the Prime Minister <laughs> after this and, and what that book showed what your book showed is that Gordon Brown does have a tendency to say one thing in public and another thing in private this is of course the man who said for 10 years that he was working loyally and solidly with Tony Blair but according to your various books Andrew he was sending his guerrilla army out at night to do him over and that's why it was so revealing but I do think Marina makes a really interesting point about the media coverage and there was really quite embarrassing nauseating moment when a reporter from the BBC News Channel they were on air and a reporter from Sky they were on air was sort of chasing this poor woman uh, down the road desperately getting her to speak when she was clearly wanting to sort of get away but for them it was you know a big moment we're live on air is it the BBC story is it Sky story and you almost felt that you were looking you know Amanda Iannucci couldn't have made this up that's a bit of a cliche I think it's quite good actually when it is shown like that, that people do actually see the massively unedifying uh, sight of the media in action because I'm, I'm sure people are slightly, you know, that that is that is what they're doing every day and they may as well see it. I actually have to say though, something weird about Brown when you hear him on that tape, he sounds like the most natural you've ever heard him. He sounds quite sort of, for all you don't agree with what he's saying, if only he sounded less robotic, he sounds the least robotic you ever hear. He does, but he the naturalist, sound- but the way he pronounced the word ridiculous, the ridiculous, he was so angry. And then this other uh, character trait that it shows that again comes out in Andrew's books is McCavity, the cat it's never his fault no, it's it always somebody else's that, fault that's one of the things that struck me it immediately has to be one of his aides faults it can't possibly be him I mean the other thing I thought it showed about him uh, and you're right I mentioned this in the book as well is his tendency to stress and overreact to the trivial because the yeah. truth is I mean, Mrs. Duffy was by no means the most tricky customer any politician has ever met on the he campaign did, drive. He did fine. When the cameras were rolling during the initial encounter, he handled her reasonably well. She even patted him on the hand and said she was going to go and vote Labour. And nobody would have ever heard of her had that not happened then in the back of the but car what, later. In terms of the sort of psychiatric evaluations we have to carry out on him every month, I would say that, you know, it does portray a certain sort of it, it, an obsession with control, it, but a real obsession with control because he actually had done quite perfectly well. But the fact that he thought that was a disaster, I mean, I, Steve Richards wrote something quite interesting in the Independent this week saying that he can only judge that as a disaster because he never meets anybody. Everything has been so dementedly stage managed that he re- regarded that as catastrophic, which it wasn't at all. And no. he'd actually sort of won her round, patted her on the back. It was quite a, a, a warm farewell. It all so seemed to be fine. Strategy. But it's it done is, quite but, well for him. But it is this absolute point, and that's the point about Gordon Brown, is he needs to control everything. Yeah, and I mean, I was a witness to the Sharon Story incident with Tony Blair during the 2001 campaign, which was much much worse for a campaigner out on the stump. And Blair found that quite difficult to handle. But you're quite right, Nick. I think part of the 
problem is Gordon Brown finds it very difficult to deal with anything that disturbs his idea of himself as a man in iron control. The other thing that struck everybody, or many people who know a bit about this, is why it was allowed to happen in the first place. I mean, when Blair went campaigning, the Labour Party fitted him up with a radio mic, so they were in control of it and took it away from him and shut it off. Why was nobody doing the really basic thing of saying to the Prime Minister, when you've got a radio mic on, have you switched it off? What about he when, he, when he goes to apologise in the Jeremy Vine studio? Why did no one say to him, oh, by the way, you're being filmed now, so it's best if you don't slump with your head in your hand <laughs> yes. and then rip your headphones off and stalk <laughs> out at the end of it? I it's, mean, it's a problem God. when you have a weak candidate. I mean, Alastair Campbell wrote on his blog that the understanding he had with the broadcasters that uh, something recorded from a microphone would only be used if it had been filmed. So in other words, they knew that it was reasonably public. Uh, that deal either hasn't been reached with the broadcasters or if it has been reached, the broadcasters are ignoring it because he's weak. You know, Tony Blair didn't get into trouble because he was a powerful, authoritative prime minister. The broadcaster treated him with respect. Who was the last prime minister that got into problem with a, bro- with, with, with a microphone? It was John Major. He was a weak prime minister. He wasn't treated with respect. Oh, and so Tony Blair had of, his Yo, Yo Blair moment. He did, yeah. But that, and that was towards the, the end of it. And that was an international thing. But the British broadcasters are just not treating him with respect. But there is another technical problem. Problem, which is that you know Gordon Brown just has quite junior people with him and they just don't know this they're not doing the sort of the basic stuff of telling him for example in the Jeremy Vine interview watch out there's a camera in the, in the studio. Marina you surprised because we're constantly told of course that politics has got more and more slick and presidential and ruthlessly gridded and yet they can't actually do the basics which is to just have some junior you could have a junior aide going around with the prime minister whose sole responsibility is to make sure the radio mic is switched off when he's not performing absolutely it's really it's it's very odd how sort of homespun and 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 kind of lowly it is when you think i mean it's not it's not actually that expensive to to you know they keep saying well they've got no money so they can't have their own radio mic anymore that's just nonsense of course they can what i found hilarious was when he kept saying oh i was only wearing the mic to jerry vine he kept saying i was only wearing the mic to help the broadcast it's like well you've done that definitely (laughs) you've done them a big favor for the rest of the day now the other thing mrs duffy achieved was to get the fastest ever apology from gordon brown followed by his as i said his penitential pilgrimage to go and apologize to her in person on that rochdale housing estate and there was some debate between people around brown as to whether that was a good idea or not was it a good idea nick or did that compound his humiliation that he then went trooping off to her house to grovel in person i think he was right to apologize which he did pretty quickly over the phone the question is was it right to go to her house on balance probably not a good idea no because I think it would have only really worked if she had come out of the house with him and said I've accepted the apology I understand in the heat of the campaign the Prime Minister something he regrets and I'm now going to go back and do what I've always done which is I'm going to vote Labour here's my postal vote I'm posting it right now I think it would have only worked if that had happened that didn't happen and so it made him look a little weak that he walked into the house he was there for 40 minutes came out on his own no sign of her but it was moronic I mean they couldn't move on from it at all it was perfectly reasonable to say look I'm really sorry and then say I've spoken to her and you know I'll be catching up with her again later tonight to actually go and have the cameras outside a small terrorist house a person who has absolutely no reason to be in the news at all uh, and, and camp them out there for the satellite trucks there all night there the next morning when she's trying to get up in the morning it's a bit cruel to bring to bring the press to her door but it, but it shows the two sides of his character on the one hand you see this rather dark side of saying something in public and then another thing in private and the other side to him is a very humane and very caring side we're told he was mortified he will have been mortified he will have been absolutely will gutted. he really or was I he think just he, mortified I by think, the fact he'd been caught no I think he will have been mortified that he upset somebody who absolutely epitomises why he's in politics 
This is somebody who has worked with handi- handicapped children. This is somebody who lost her husband to cancer four years ago. This is somebody who's voted Labour all her life. He will have been mortified. Uh, Marina, there was one suggestion, I don't know whether you take it seriously, that he called Mrs Duffy bigoted, the word he had to apologise for afterwards, because he misheard her, and he specifically misheard her when she was talking about Eastern Europeans flocking to Britain, flocking Eastern oh, Europeans. Yeah. She, she, He heard it as a, a different F word. Do you believe that? Um, I, the comedy mishearing theory, not really. I, I thought he would have gone with something saying, oh, I was saying she was big-hearted. I thought, she, I thought he'd go with that. But as a comedy mishearing, even if, it, even if she had said that, I'm not sure that using an expletive makes it any more you know, racist or bigoted or any less racist or bigoted. I don't see why she, he, he would have reacted to that, but not, but, but not if she hadn't used it. I mean, another theory, Nick, which I suppose is another psychological one, is that basically Gordon Brown didn't hear much of what she said at all. He just hears key words like health service or immigration, <laughs> and then he clicks into his robotic <laughs> response. That's right. I mean, I just don't go along with this line that A, he didn't hear it, and B, he didn't have enough time to, to give his response. Of course, he had plenty of time. The conversation went on and on and on. No, that's just a classic, how do we get out of this mess? I mean, that is, you can imagine, that's in the thick of it. You can see how it is. Conversations with Peter Mandelson, right, how are we going to get out of this? Ah, oh, right, you didn't hear it. You didn't mean to say it. You didn't have time to explain it. Nonsense. Of course, he heard it. He just had to get out of a, a big hole. Well, while those legions of camera crews were camping on a Rochdale housing estate, Europe's economy was being dragged closer to the edge by the crisis in debt-laden Greece. The governor of the Bank of England reportedly confided to a friend and fellow economist that the next government will have to make such savage cuts they'll be kicked out of office after just one turn and their party will then spend a generation in the wilderness. So it was rather good timing that the final leaders' debate of the campaign took place on the subject of economic affairs and in the city of Birmingham, a city which has witnessed the decline of British manufacturing industry. Here's a selected taste of what happened. There's a lot to this job, and as you saw yesterday, I don't get all of it right. But I do know how to run the economy. Tonight's debate is about you, about your job, the taxes you pay, your family, about the prosperity of our economy. We've actually got to get value for money in our public services. I want good public services for everyone, and we can only do that if we save and stop the waste. Of course I can't guarantee you that all the problems you face will be solved overnight, but I can guarantee you that I will work tirelessly to deliver fairness for you. Fair taxes so that you pay less, but people at the top pay their fair share. The biggest beneficiary of the Conservative Manifesto is, as always, the richest estates in the country and not the ordinary, hard-working people of this country. David Cameron. Well, what you're hearing is very desperate stuff from someone who's in a desperate state. But you have heard from Labour and Gordon Brown that if you earn £20,000 or over, you're considered rich. But take money out of the economy now, David, for ideological reasons, and you put the recovery at risk. And I do fear an emergency Tory budget in a few weeks' time putting the very work that we've done to secure the recovery in jeopardy. Well, I'm standing here for a very simple reason, that I love this country, and I think we can do even better in the years ahead. We can go on, solve our problems, and do great things, but we need a government with the right values. Okay, uh, first of all, scores on the doors. Marina, who did you give it to last night? Cameron. And I'm why? afraid. <laughs> no, no, why? Uh, I just, against all my wishes, I'm afraid that there just suddenly came a point where I just thought he was sort of 
resonating in that in that right way. Much as I you I may find him ghastly, and other people may find. But I have to think there's a feeling in my waters now that it's going his way. Well, I, I would tend to agree with you that of David Cameron's three performances, that was the best. Probably of Nick Clegg's performances, he was fine, but that was probably the weakest of his three. And Gordon Brown was quite solid, but he needed to be more than solid. He needed, if he was going to change the dynamic of this election, he needed to do more than that. And he didn't find, he tried, but he didn't find a killer blow on Cameron. Would you agree, Nick? Yeah, I agree. I mean, Gordon Brown needs us to be sitting here this morning saying, well, I mean, what's wow, wow, we you know, We've always yeah. said he has yeah. a bit of a difficulty getting through, but hey, he wasn't exactly dancing, but wow, he was really authoritative. And David Cameron, he was knocked on the floor. Didn't happen completely agree with Marina. Uh, David Cameron won that debate and I think he won it because he had the great combination of being authoritative but also positive. Uh, Gordon Brown just seemed really negative. You're going to take us back to the 1930s. Uh, I think Nick Clegg did very well and what he showed, which is what he showed in the second debate, is he's robust. The first debate he connected, the second two debates, he showed that he was really robust. I think the problem for Nick Clegg was that in the initial exchanges, because Brown was being so aggressive towards Cameron, that it was Brown Cameron and Nick Clegg was struggling to make himself heard. He did look a bit of a spare tool at the dong at that point and then he he came in which had done him he served him quite well in the previous two debates saying oh there those two yeah we're going oh can we have less of the points going but to be honest by the third and i think other people shared this feeling i think uh no i've had enough of playing the pious card did you feel the same way i'm Marina? afraid that line was the old politics line i thought he should have found he should have found some variation he needed a on new it tune. that wasn't that yeah. so anything i mean it was becoming slightly tiresome and i'm afraid he sounded slightly pettish slightly frustrated at times not for the first 45 minutes i didn't think at all but i did think he it slightly began to unravel for him after that um, disappointingly but I tell you I, I, I think mean, the um, the old politics card can be a bit tired if that's all he says but if there's actually something substantive he can uh, back that up with I think it can work and for example uh, both Cameron and Brown were piling into Nick Clegg on his plans to have an amnesty not that he would call it an amnesty for illegal immigrants who've been here for more than earned citizenship I think it's the phrase they prefer you use and he was pretty robust on that against both of them saying guys it is a problem it's happening you've got to deal with it you lot are ignoring it that was quite effective now, I've really enjoyed these debates. I think most people think they've been an enhancement. But uh, as they've gone on, some of the weaknesses have been exposed. Uh, part of the problem, it strikes me, Marina, especially when they were in the economic section, is there's really no method of really pushing an individual leader on when they're trying to avoid a question, when they're refusing to say what they would actually cut. The moderator in that case, David Dimbleby, uh, who probably looked more prime ministerial than anybody else <laughs> on the platform, the moderator's not allowed to and the members of the audience aren't. And so if the leaders don't successfully do it to themselves, you never get that really rigorous interrogation of a position. I, I agree. And I think that by this stage in the campaign, you've heard so many of those anecdotes before. I mean, God, if I have to hear that one more time from Cameron about the house he walks, the guy who has to go to work, walking past the house with all the curtains shut when no one else works you've heard all these and you've actually heard the, the same almost exact same formulations of words and it does actually become slightly you know like uh, sort of two arguments having arguments with each other and um you, you've heard all of the it's policies are not really policies arguments you know, sort of sound bites arguing with each other and I, do, I don't i think that was definitely exposed by last night and i do have to say that i mean this is i'm going to get in trouble for saying this but here we go but by last night's debate you were sort of thinking this is now getting a bit boring because it's a bit ooh, no, you're because not i'm not allowed to say, to say that, that. Right, no, it's, it's fine a bit, you say what you it's like. a <laughs> bit repetitive. We've heard yeah. this before and it gets back to the point that you say that there isn't the rigorous scrutiny of them and guess why? Oh, it's because the politicians drew up the rules. And it is this point that the person in the audience asks a question, then the moderator cannot pursue it. And it's literally, you say your bit and then it's 
what would you like to say, Mr. Yeah. Cameron? What would you like to say? I mean, David Dimbleby did try to haul them yeah. back exactly, occasionally, yeah. but uh, he yeah. could really, because of yeah. the rules, not his fault at all. Yeah. All he could do was remind them of the question. He couldn't yeah. really pin people down as he would in a, a normal That's question right. time for format. Me it's, for me, it's a worry how president that it is. A, it's, it's basically importing presidentialism without the rigorous sort of primary scrutiny, because as you say, they can't really ask them anything, and they it, it becomes. It does become slightly X factorish. I must, as, as, as several people have remarked, it does become slightly X factorish. I'm afraid, and, and you can't interrogate them. And that's right. And that, that, what's interesting about this campaign is that at one level it is incredibly exciting and it has been set alight uh, by these uh, television debates. But there's another argument that says that the scrutiny actually has been a lot weaker um, because you haven't had the daily press conferences, apart from in the case of the Liberal Democrats, who've been yeah. doing it every day in a different town uh, in, in the country, but you haven't had that sort of real serious daily scrutiny. No, and it's changed another thing about the rhythm, it strikes me. I mean, the first week of this campaign, before we had that first debate when Clegmania exploded, the first week was actually the traditional campaign, and it was mainly about national insurance or the jobs tax, as the Tories called it. And that followed the classic pattern, the Tories make attack, Labour rebuts, Tories counterattack, Labour counter-rebuts. It goes on for about two or three, four days, and at the end of it, the media score it and the voters make up their mind. And you do have a sort of intense bit of heat put on one area of policy. That doesn't happen as a result of these debates, does no, it? Abs- absolutely not. I mean, you're, you're waiting for the next debate. And I think what it's actually made us is that I, everyone's gone on over the last few years that everyone becomes so interested in process and everyone can't stop talking about process. You're almost all ordinary, you know, completely ordinary normal voters who might actually wish to listen to politics are constantly having to hear, you know, what's what's happening in the spin room, all the news channels are doing what's happening in the spin room, what's happening with the worm. I wonder whether people are, you know, for all the emphasis on the excitement of being part of like American style politics, I think that the, the policies have really, really... Well, well yeah, journalists way. seem to get enormously excited by the appearance of the Dark Lord Peter Mandelson in their spin room and they're going on about it frantically. I would have thought that leaves most voters cold, doesn't it, Nick? Yes, I would have thought so. I mean, it's very, very Beltway. Uh, and the way that, you know, the spin room and he makes his appearance. Uh, and also, I mean, I would have thought it is, you know, it's a turn off what they're doing. You know, Peter Mandelson is declaring it's a victory within five seconds of the debate starting. I mean, Peter Mandelson did show his great strength in the first debate uh, when he conceded that Nick Clegg had won. But then he said, hey, Gordon Brown was good on substance and uh, David Cameron was insubstantial. Uh, that showed how clever he is. You don't come out there sort of saying all absolute triumph when it's not. Uh, but by the third one, yeah, I mean, it's getting a bit a bit bit tiring i mean marina i know you were in the i think the spin room for the second debate and yeah. you wrote a, uh and i mean this is a compliment a, a really angry piece very focused anger about it for the guardian why why was I, I why were you so angry utterly revolting i mean anyone would have thrown up anyone normal i.e not a journalist or a politician would have thrown up it is disgusting it is so pathetic it doesn't matter everyone is thrilled to be there as though as though as i said the week before i think we said here that they all think they're in the west wing but it is it's just completely nauseating you know liam fox wandering around trying to explain to you you know what exactly why people you know other people are failing and what other people and then you turn around and sort of alice campbell's nudging you and saying sorry oh it's it's revolting and it's feverish it's it's like a sort of feeding frenzy and it adds absolutely nothing i mean it, and it's really embarrassing to just come out there and say Gordon absolutely nailed that he won everything <laughs> yeah, he left yeah. them trailing I think God have, have a bit of self-respect and, and Marina you had this wonderful phrase you talked about the assoisie they are the assoisie the <laughs> which is a fantastic phrase Aswazi. but what's interesting about that is that you know 
whatever it was, 8 million people watched the debate on the BBC yesterday, 9 million watched the first one. Uh, so people were really engaged. I'd just be interested to know how many people were watching the rolling news channels as Liam Fox was sounding off. Not many people because it's a turn off. Right, as the bloke who looked a bit like Elvis at the Corby Technical College might have said, it's now or never. Prediction time. Do you have a vague idea how the rest of the campaign might fold? I've got a feeling in my waters now that it's a Cameron with a small majority. Why? I just something. I just felt I last. You know, you, you get that's not for me. It's a sinking feeling, but obviously for other people, it may be a feeling of delight uh, that their their leader will be storming into number or not storming, sort of limping with a small majority into number ten. Um, for me, uh, something just changed. I think it, you just feel something has changed now, and it you it, you can feel you can feel it when it's happened. And I think that something has definitely changed. And I'm afraid that I don't think the momentum will go. Uh, looking at the polls at the moment i mean the the conservatives still not quite got the lead they need but uh they would suggest nick that the momentum probably with the conservatives is there any certainly not with labor is there any way back for labor do you think I think it's looking pretty difficult. I mean, I think the only way back for Labour is if the electorate say, look, that was a fantastic holiday romance with Nick Clegg, but, you know, it's over and we've got to go home and we're not taking him back to the parents. And if that happens and the Lib Dems then go down into the early 20s, then I think you could well find that Labour could be inching up not to win, but to avoid an absolute disaster. Uh, But yes, I mean, I think it's pretty much looking, it feels very much as if the Conservatives are now back in contention. The Liberal Democrats have sort of reached their high watermark and are probably on the way down. No way they could have a second search? No. Um, we they may well do. They happen. may. They may. I mean, hey, who knows? I mean, you know, who's yeah. you know anyone who predicts this election, you know, who you know would be a fool, because it's been a very unpredictable election. But it feels like the initiative is now with Cameron. It feels like he will be prime minister. The question is, will he be prime minister with a minority administration or prime minister with a majority administration? And we shouldn't forget that even let's say the Liberal Democrats do as well as they did last time, that's going to make life very difficult for David Cameron. Yeah, Marina, do you agree? Yes, I mean it is. I, 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 I this, it's sad for me because I think that these moods for change that we all get quite seduced by in this country. You know, you had it after the banking crisis; everyone's talking, and you had it after MPs' expenses. People talk about written constitutions, but nothing ever really changes. It stays the same. And I think that at some quite elemental level, we don't like change enough. In but this isn't country. that the potency of the Lib Dem message potentially, just potentially? Evidently not. I don't. I don't think it will be. Uh, I, here's, the, I suppose, what could be the nightmare scenario for for Labour, Nick, and I see sort of clever old birds like Paddy Ashton trying to frame the rest of the contest like this to say, actually, Labour's basically out of it. It's now Tories versus Lib Dems. The country wants change. So the question is, what sort of change? So the Liberals trying to squeeze Labour, a reversal of the normal dynamic of the last week of a campaign. Uh, do you think Labour people, well, when you talk I mean, to them, are worrying the, the, about Yeah, I mean, I'm sure, absolutely. But I mean, what they're worried about, I think, is not the Liberal Democrats displacing them in number of seats. It's obviously the Liberal Democrats displacing them in percentage terms and then obviously robbing them of important seats. But, I mean, it's all very well for Paddy Ashdown to say, you know, we're going to displace uh, Labour. But in in seats, that's just not going to happen. Um, You know, remember 1983, um, the SDP alliance uh, got, I think it was 25.4% of the vote. Uh, Labour got 276 So there's two percentage points between them. But there was an absolute gulf in the number of seats. Was it 22-ish alliance seats and 209 Labour seats? So at the end of the day, you do come back to our glorious first-past-the-post system. It is very, very, very difficult for a third party to make a breakthrough with that system. Now, I don't know if you two have got your campaign schedule for the next few days fully worked out, but Marina, is there anything you're particularly looking forward to? 
I don't actually know any of my schedule for the next few days. Um, at, anything could happen. All. Anything could happen. I, I, I deploy even quicker than Saddam's non-existent weapons. <laughs> I will be on the train. Just let me know where I'm going. Well, obviously, the great excitement of today is the return of Tony Blair. Uh, we haven't seen him for a few weeks. He made a very good speech a couple of weeks come ago. Come a few hours, come a for tan. In, indeed, absolutely. Said. In Sedgefield with that sort of slightly irritating transatlantic accent where he did quite an effective attack on the Tories. Uh, he's back today. Let's see how that goes down. Yeah, well, let's just talk quickly about him. Marina, uh, uh, bonus or liability for Labour, the reappearance of Tony Blair? Oh, God. I mean, look, we keep saying who can call it in this election, but their polling must be telling them that... And I, 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 always, I actually thought he'd be more after that first... Um, um, after that first speech, which I thought was actually really good, um, you know, the one in Sedgefield. Yes, the one yeah. in Sedgefield. I thought I thought that they would use him more oddly because their their polling must be telling them that it that it it plays well. To be honest, I think they should just throw anything at him now. So if they're, I, I don't I don't know if it'll lose them anything. I think where Blair is particularly effective is that David Cameron and George Osborne believed believed and still believe that Tony Blair was unbeatable. They just simply couldn't beat him. So in that sense, he destabilises them. Uh, he makes the argument against the Conservatives very effectively, says they talk a moderate game, but hey, they would make us irrelevant in Europe. Uh, so in that sense, he can be quite effective, but I think it's a bit late in the day. And the other thing is we shouldn't forget, we all say, ah, oh, the glory days of when Tony Blair won three victories for the Labour Party. But let's not forget in 2005, his polling showed him if this campaign is down to you, Tony, we're going to be in trouble. So who did he call upon? Who did he buy an ice cream for? Who did he have by his side? Gordon Brown. Ah, the whirly gig of time. Alas, that's all we have time for this week. Many thanks to my guests Nick Watt and Marina Hyde. They'll continue to cover all the action from the campaign trail in The Guardian. I'm off to address my column for Sunday's Observer. Guardian Election Daily returns on Monday with Sir Michael White. The producer was Phil Maynard. You've been listening to Andrew Rawnsley. Thanks for joining us. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.